With massive layoffs in nearly every sector, weakness in manufacturing, car sales and housing, and the biggest one-month decline in the trade deficit since the financial crisis, the economic picture is not looking good, which might explain why so many billionaires are loading up on gold, including hedge fund manager John Paulson and real estate mogul Sam Zell. Bottom line, now is the time to own gold, which is why the experts at Stansbury Research just stepped forward with a major gold prediction, arguing gold could soar as high as $3,000 by the end of the year, possibly even higher. You can find out why and get instant access to their number one gold investment today. It's not bullion, an ETF, or a mining stock. But in the past, this gold strategy could have made you nearly 50x your money. Considering how quickly the price of gold has been moving in recent weeks, you don't want to waste any time missing out on the gains these experts believe are in store for this gold stock. To get a copy of his new free report with all the details, simply go to goldmaniareport.com. Again, that's goldmaniareport.com for a free copy of his new report. Hi, this is Daniela Cambone. Welcome back to the Daniela Cambone Show here on Stansberry Research. Today we are talking record central bank gold buying, Chinese spy balloons, inflation, of course, and anything else my next guest wants to talk about because I always love catching up with her. Please welcome back to the show, Lynette Zhang, a chief markets analyst over at ITM Trading. Lynette, so nice to see you. Welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back, Daniela. I love being here. It's been way too Yay. long. Way too long. And where shall I start? Where, where shall I start with you? Let's Take start your pick. with, yeah, let's start with this one, this one, this goodie. Uh, central banks. This is according to the World Gold Council, buying the most gold on record last year. We know the banks uh, leaning this were, were Turkey, but we also know China, Egypt, Qatar, all buying gold uh, last year, adding a whopping uh, 1,136 tons of gold. That's worth about $70 billion to their stockpiles in 2022. I've asked other experts this, and I want to get your take. What are the central banks doing with this move? What do they know that we should know, Lynette? <laughs> well, what they know that we should know is that this is the end of the experiment and they are at the end of kicking the can down the road. So, you know, yeah, the gold buying back to 1967 and what was happening in the 60s? We were transitioning into a new monetary system. Interesting. And, and, there's a few clues if we dig a little deeper, Lynette. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, these are just, you know, theses because we don't know yet. Um, but if we look at China, this is their third month that they've reported and they're always just releasing, you know, small quantities. Uh, you know, like they just said this week, they bought another 15 tons. Um, but so what do you think is the strategy behind China announcing these small amounts? And by the way, there are two-thirds of the gold bought by central banks last year. We don't know where it's coming from. So there's still this mystery two-thirds. We have China releasing small quantities over the months. Can you kind of link the two or any thoughts here? Well, I think it's really hiding in plain sight 
do what I say and not what I do. And what they're doing is accumulating. I mean, nobody really knows how much gold China has stockpiled because that information of what they mine themselves is just not really released. So, but whoever holds the gold retains the power and the choice. And in this massive global shift in financial dominance, you know, I think what we're really witnessing is that China wants to come out on top. And since the U.S. doesn't seem to add any gold, right? Right. I mean, I think that's really what we're witnessing. Yeah, but, and I and I, you know, I'm boggled by that as well, right? And I, I'm thinking, yeah, why wouldn't China want to show, hey, we're powerful here with our gold reserves? Maybe they have more than the U.S. Who knows? Why not come out and say, hey, we own a ton of gold here, much more than we're disclosing to show why? What are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting for the opportune moment because really the conflict between the U.S. and China has been escalating and we, you know, it's escalating right now. So I think the Chinese are extraordinarily strategic and I don't think they like to show their hand until they are ready to actually take that position. And, and I don't think we're there yet. We need a huge crisis in order to justify a lot of the shift. But, um, yeah, I think it's all strategic, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, where is that gold coming from? I mean, we're seeing massive drawdowns on the COMEX and the LBMA. We've been watching that. So maybe that's where it's coming from. And I obviously want to get back to China for obvious reasons, but yeah. you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, this was like a news item lower on the radar, but um, these are comments from the president of Belarus, uh, Lukashenko, that I want to share with you, because he said the world will soon see new powerful monetary unions with a new reserve currency. Speaking earlier this week, he said, a new system of mutual settlements is taking shape, including an in international trade. In short, time is ripe for changes. I believe that new powerful monetary unions with a new reserve currency will emerge soon. Any thoughts on this, Lynette? Well, absolutely, because we've been watching the U.S. weaponize SWIFT. And so, but there was a movement to create a new monetary union through the BRICS, um, even before it was overtly weaponized, meaning the SWIFT system, the, the global payment system. So, I mean, we saw it with the creation of the Shanghai Gold Exchange. We've seen it with the BRICS nations coming together. So, absolutely. I mean, no currency maintains its status as the world reserve currency forever. And the U.S., you know, has really been abusing that position in a lot of a lot of countries opinions what do you think the us is planning to do about it i mean they obviously see the rise of the brics do you think they're just sitting back thinking impossible no one can overtake us or are they concerned and and, and carefully watching this what's your take you know i i wish i wasn't about to say what i'm about to say yeah, but no, i think it. that <laughs> I think it's a, a, a very high level of arrogance because the U.S. dollar is still 
primarily used in global trade. And so I think they just can't believe that they would be knocked off their seat or maybe what seems like a conflict is not really a conflict. It's more a handing off of the baton. Interesting. And we aren't going to know that. Explain. You think they would want to hand off the, the baton? Well, we, there is historic precedence for that. I mean, back in 69, when the SDR was created over at the IMF, the U.S. had gone and said, here, take this back. We don't want this anymore. But then Kissinger created the petrodollar. And we see that petrodollar now falling apart with Saudi Arabia saying, oh, well, we don't have to just take dollars. So, but but here's the thing that I've been asking, and, and nobody's really going to know the answer to this. So this is just a possibility. What if yeah. the world, all the leaders, all the central bankers in the world, actually know that this is the end of this current experiment and they want to transition us into the new system and retain their power. So part of what always happens during these transitions are wars. But if you look at what's been happening for really quite some time, especially since 2008, don't we seem to lurch from crisis to crisis to crisis, keeping everybody off balance? It feels like that to me, yeah. Exactly. So what if it's not really them versus us, but everybody, all the central bankers and the governments working together to create this transition? I know it sounds crazy, no, but nothing sounds crazy anymore, Lynette. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Is it to usher in the new oh. era of central bank digital currencies? Oh, yes. It's the surveillance era, and I just got goosebumps. And who has been leading the way to that but China? And, you know, other countries can look at China and say, oh, well, you know, look at their government versus they might say we have democracy, but we don't really have democracy here. But China's been showing the world how to control their population, uh, except for just recently when they changed the mandate. And I think that's because of the population was starting to rise up in more different areas. So I was very happy to see that. But China's really been showing us the way to get adoption of the of the CBDC and how to control a society. So it would make some level of sense for them to be taking over. You know, I have had experts as Doug Casey recently on my show saying 2023 will be the year that we'll see the introduction of central bank digital currencies. Some would say it's still too soon. Um, any takes here? Could this be oh. the year? Are they still in pilot project phase? Where are we at with it, you think? Well, I think we're a lot further along with it than they want us to understand. Uh, so I would agree with Doug that this is going to be the year that we see the CBDCs introduced in earnest. And I, I can see it, and I could be dead wrong on this, but I could see it happening the second half of this year sometime. Wow. And with, I'm assuming you're, you think it would be China to be the first or 
I mean, well, John China, had said it would be a, a country like Sweden. He put out there as what he thinks could be the first. But any, well, China's already utilizing it for a, yeah. a lot of their population, and and we've seen smaller countries. Uh, you know, everybody's experimenting with it. But I think we're going to have a big crisis this year. I don't think there's going to be a soft landing. I don't think that there is disinflation. Um, I think that I think there's going to be a hard landing. I think there's going to be a big crisis uh, because, and I, I I mean I talk about this piece a lot, and I don't really hear anybody else talking about it. And maybe it's going to be a big fat nothing burger. Maybe I'm wrong. But we are in the middle of that transition from LIBOR, that, that interest rate benchmark, uh, into in this country, in the U.S., SOFR. Uh, and there's get, they're getting some pushbacks, particularly from CLOs, collateralized loan obligations. And I don't think they can make the transition. I mean, there's still... Over 610 trillion notional value contracts that have to be converted. And even with their, with their mathematical fixes, they cannot get the SOFR to, to, uh, to show interest rates the same as the LIBOR. And that impacts all of the contracts that still have LIBOR embedded in it. And why isn't anybody talking about it? Because this is a big well, experiment that has never been tried before, ever. So you're talking a crisis bigger than 08, much bigger. Oh, much bigger. Yeah. A default, de- complete system default, Lynette. Uh, it could be a complete system default, but I think they need a crisis to cover up this whole piece in here. So maybe it happens before June, maybe it happens after June, but I, I have a feeling that we have to have one to cover up what, what, well, I mean, Wall Street didn't think that they could do it. And you've got uh, some on Wall Street, particularly in the collateralized loan obligation space, uh, that are really starting to push back because their payments have been reduced. And so, they don't want to make that transition. Can it be forced? I don't know. I always want to make this relatable because I'm sure a lot of folks at home are thinking, wow, Lynette, what you're outlining is horrific. How does it trickle down and affect me in my day-to-day? Well, it could very well affect you when you open up your mortgage statement, your car loan, your student loan, your credit cards, any debt obligation that you have. Um all of a sudden, they look different. How about if you're generating income from bonds in some way or anything that generates income that's contract-based and that's smaller? So what if your debts are bigger and your and your uh, income is smaller? That's how it could impact everybody. Plus, I want to go back. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. One other thing is... Yes that it changes the valuation of those contracts. So all of the banks that are sitting on all of those debt contracts, that they're showing a valuation here because of the contracts, and all of a sudden that valuation shifts, that's tectonic. And possibly one of the reasons why the FDIC said there will be a bail-in. And this goes back to your thesis and, and belief of why you're not in the banking system. 
Right. I mean, I am to a degree, but not to right. any level that I can lose that's going to matter right. to me at all. And uh, we'll circle back uh, to that point. But um, sticking to surveillance, so I knew you were coming on and wanted to get your thoughts, obviously, on the Chinese spy balloon, which we know we now know is part of a broader Chinese military surveillance. But I want to bring up this point. I was watching an interview with Phil Mudd, who's a counterterrorism analyst, and he says, this says, quote, this says a lot more about the inability of Washington and Congress and the White House to talk about relatively insignificant national security issues than it does about intelligence. So, you know, the, I think the question is, how much of a threat are these spy balloons to are we really surprised that the Chinese are spying on us? I mean, also some would argue the U.S. has the largest spy apparatus on the world. We're spying on countries. Other countries are certainly spying on us. And hello, TikTok hasn't TikTok been spying right. on us this whole time on our children, everyone, billions Absolutely. around the world. So are, should we be surprised? How much of a threat is it? Or is it just more noise, Lynette? Well, I think it's a lot of noise. And, I, you know, I was listening to uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth this morning at, on Bloomberg, and she made a really interesting statement. And that was that for after 40 years, the Federal Reserve's now po new policy is to keep everybody off balance. And those weren't her exact words, but that was the essence of what she said. And so again, you know, when, when we're lurching from crisis to crisis, when I look at the spy balloon, I think it's really interesting that they allowed it to come in in Alaska, but they didn't shoot it down until it was off of what, South Carolina or something like that, which means it had, it had the ability and did go across the entire country. So I think that that, and you think they didn't know when it came in by Alaska? Of course they knew. So it kind of goes back to, you know, is this an, are there going to be unintended consequences for the governments and the central banks, or is this absolutely intentional? And keeping people off balance constantly, it makes them more vulnerable. It does. And it also coincides, Lynette, with that leaked memo uh, from the general saying, you know, we could be at war with China by 2025. So, yes, this constant pitting against U.S. versus China, you know, is it all just created and, and for what, to your point? Well, for what is to justify the hyperinflation, right? Because war always justifies high inflation. I mean, you know, you can look back historically, and since 1989, I mean, I, I did a whole study on that where the timeline between wars grew smaller and smaller and smaller, and by 1989, uh, we've been in a perpetual state of war, which has really, really uh, validated the need for the larger military-industrial complex, as we know, so, you know, I, I mean, we're not going to know the answer to that. We're probably never going to know the answer never. to it. But it looks like a lot of unnecessary provocation to me. Um, also want to get your thoughts. We had the State of the Union uh, this week, obviously uh, differing opinions on how uh, President Biden uh, did. Uh, you know, Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt saying that he, you know, totally missed the mark on the Chinese spy flight. Um, he, he missed the mark on the border crisis, the drug issue. Obviously, 
others praising Biden for uh, you know the, the the economy right now for the robust jobs numbers. So just your take, and if you had to grade that State of the Union, what would you give it? Well, I would probably give it a C. Right in the middle,、okay. which is where they、okay. all need to be anyway, because the politician's job is really, and and this is true for Jay Pals too. Well, not anymore apparently, but it's to keep the public calm. It's to keep the public believing that they are in control, that they know what they're doing, and that everything is okay. But you know, we have the debt ceiling issue looming again, and is that going to look like it did in 2011 when we were downgraded? You know, we have so many different games of chicken going on: the markets versus the Feds. I mean. It it was, and I don't know if we spoke before this, but last August, when the central bank, first the Fed, and then then the rest of them gave up forward guidance, that was the shift to the new. Let's keep everybody guessing. Policy. I mean, there's there's just too much that doesn't make sense. That is potentially unnecessary provocation. And、look at North Korea, right? North Korea is not going to talk to us, but yet we know they have, and they've been testing nuclear warheads. And we know, I mean, that they can reach the U.S. I mean, there's just yeah so much. Yeah. I I think that's a perfect, and you just gave me goosebumps with that. I think that's a perfect summation that it, it is just you know keeping us on our toes. We don't know, and you know before we talk. Protecting ourselves.、Uh, just、mm-hmm. a few more thoughts on, on the Fed. I mean, you know, from the last conference, it, it's quite clear that they do continue. They do plan to continue raising rates.、Um, for how long? I mean, do you have any thoughts on where the Fed goes from here, and, and what, what do they really want to get to in terms of inflation? You know, I, I, well, <laughs> in terms of inflation. You know, it, it really is about credibility. I don't think any of this is really, really as much about it fight fighting the inflation that they caused with this thing, <laughs> the ability to just print an unlimited amount of money,、uh, as it is about them fighting to get their credibility back after they handed it away last August, and so. I said at that time, and and now we're watching it play out. The markets don't believe the Fed; they don't believe them. And they, you know, I had someone ask me a question recently. Did I think that that、uh, the markets could overwhelm the Fed's ability? And and my answer was yes, absolutely. And that's because of all those derivatives and how much leverage there is in the system that. Is breaking down. In other words, liquidity. After all of this printing, where did all this liquidity go? Right? You know what、yeah. I'm saying? And yet, so I, why are the markets so illiquid? I need to get myself that prop. But、um, <laughs> yes, to you that do. Point, <laughs> to that point, to that point. The last time you were on, it was way before the crypto carnage. Yeah, and you were very critical of the storage of wealth in the form of blockchain technology. You said precious metals will enable you to survive anything.、Um, so I'm guessing you have not
uh, had a change of heart when it comes to crypto, or should that I would be, be accurate? Specific? Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and um, mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Thank you. And and your take on um, on what we're seeing in gold does this year? Does it feel like a different market to you um, than other than other runs? No. I mean, honestly, the only reason why I care about the spot gold and the spot silver market is because that's what people see. And I don't know why they believe Wall Street, but that's what they, you know, believe. Uh, No, I have not changed my mind on uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. I think that they will continue to be around, uh, although not as many as there are out there. Who will survive Probably Bitcoin because Wall Street has so adopted it. Uh, but would I hold wealth in there? No, I don't own any. And after I see who actually does survive, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'll, we'll have a conversation then and decide. But with gold, what we've also seen is likely peak gold. I mean, even at these levels, we are not seeing the level of recycling come mm-hmm. into the market. And so part of me wonders, okay, so is the public pretty much played out with their gold? Has they Have they sold the gold that they wear on their bodies and they don't have more of that? to recycle. So we see recycling down like 30% year over year. That's pretty substantial, especially where with what was happening in the prices. Right. Right. And we see even though production increased by 1%, in 2022, that's minuscule again, based upon um, you know, based upon the availability, availability out there and with central banks really gobbling yep. up yep. everything that's coming out, you know, there's a fine, there's a finite amount of this. That's it. Record, finite record amount. amounts, record amounts since the fifties, Lynette record. So, no, I hear you. You're saying the price should be way higher. So that's why you don't even pay attention to the spot price. Because all that is, is a contract. You know, and, and I don't know where it really is now, but if you go into the office of the comptroller of the currency and you go into their derivatives report that they publish quarterly, they publish a quarterly so everybody can see it, and you go to the goal, just put in control S or control F and do a search on that, you're going to see a massive jump in the gold derivatives on, uh, for the last few quarters. And that's because they had to change the accounting mechanism to reflect more accurately. Is that accurate? Probably not. I mean, they just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, just getting back to your point about the interests of Wall Street and crypto, and, and I need to fact check this, but someone sent me a screenshot today that Shell um, is actually one of the uh, main sponsors of the annual Bitcoin conference that, that happens in Miami. I mean, so now we're getting huge corporations backing Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, you know, yes, Wall Street has adopted that. So my question, and how much money would have gone into gold that went into Bitcoin? 
right? Or it went into other cryptocurrencies, right? Right. Do they want you holding this that's outside of the system and not subject to geopolitical risk and is a proven inflation hedge and is the only financial asset that runs no counterparty risk? Yeah. Valid point, Lynette. So... Uh. I don't yeah. know. I don't, it's, it's not private. I mean, you have to give them your name, your social security number. You have to give them all your information when you buy it. And even if you go on and look, it says it's not private. I don't know. Well, and then we see cyber attacks that are happening recently with ION, which is a UK derivatives uh, company. And so yeah. now they're having to, I mean, derivatives are what's going to take the system down. It almost took it down in 97 or 98 with long-term capital management. Again, in 2007, 2008, that's what kicked off this crisis. I think the third time's a charm. Lynette, on that note, uh, what an overview. Uh, I just, I love speaking with you and getting your, your thoughts, which are just, just always have a different take. Um, and how's your gardening? going really well. I, I don't have it in here, but I brought a bunch of tomatoes from my garden uh, in for some people today. And eggs. I don't have to worry uh, about the $20 a dozen <laughs> eggs. My chickens oh, and ducks are doing great. Fantastic. Fantastic. More power to you, Lynette. Good for you. Send Thank me some you. of those. <laughs> All right. Um, I wonder if a I pleasure. could. I'll just come visit you. I'll just, I'll just I would come love that. with my basket. And, and, your, and your babies. And my babies. Uh, thank you so much, Lynette. It's always a pleasure. Uh, come back soon, okay? I absolutely will, Daniela. You take care. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for watching. Wow, what a conversation with Lynette Zhang. We'll have more incredible content coming your way, so be sure to stay tuned to the Daniela Camboni Show and sign up at DanielaCamboni.com to stay on top of it all. That's it for me. Thanks for watching. Opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the contributor and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Stansbury Research, its parent company, or affiliates.